the Bible, God's book, God's good book for that matter, God's book, the Bible, actually cuts through the inflation of human nonsense in the first five chapters of it. And who doesn't like the idea of some free gifts every once in a while? And God's first five chapters are just full of free gifts. In fact, 12 free gifts. We're on the 11th of these free gifts. But the bottom line is this. Human beings can either understand God's free gifts or human beings can ignore and be ignorant of God's free gifts. We don't want to be ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. Let's come on in and have a talk about God's 11th free gift, which is the gift of warning. Come on in. Biblical channel. Always glad that somebody's willing to talk about God and think about God and bring God's thoughts into their lives. And I guarantee, man, these thoughts, <laughs> these are these thoughts here that God gives us, they're the substance of something to believe in. More on that in a minute. But um, quite frankly, we just want people to sound smart when it comes to living in this world. We want people to have a godly worldview, which means, well, really reading the Bible quite well. We just want to help you read your Bible better so that you can help other people read their Bibles better. And 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 we, of course, want you to share what we do uh, with more and more people, if, if that's your thing. And uh, so hit the like, hit the send, you know, move it along in any way possible. But if you just want to move it along by making yourself sound great, um, if this helps you to be the most the smartest person in the room. We're happy for that. Don't give us any credit. We're not looking for credit. We're looking for um, just help. We, we just want to help people. We don't want to get under people's skin, but we do want to challenge uh, the world that we live in because there's some really messed up things in this world. Anywho, anywho, uh, we're just beggars showing other beggars where we found bread. So let us pray before we dive into the first uh, or to chapter four and five of Genesis. And let's just pray the way the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Ah, that is the rub. Thank you, Lord. Help us to understand. Help us to be aware. Help us to love you. Help us to like you. Help us to be brave in what I would consider a pretty weak world. But this weak world seems to get the best of us. Anyhow, let's uh, let's move on. So Genesis chapter 4 and 5 is where we're going to be. Too long for us to do in a single reading, I feel I'll put you to sleep. So we'll tackle it one section at a time. But before we get into you know the reading and then talking about the Bible, which is quite simply what we do. We just read the Bible, talk about the Bible, read the Bible, talk about the Bible. And we're just people, man. I am, I guarantee I am, I am the, the most average and maybe even a little bit below average uh, when it comes to being a human being. Um, nothing special here, but it's God who makes us special. And if we listen carefully, we can become very special to him. And it's not that hard. Um, let's just listen to the storylines. So Genesis chapter four and five, I will categorize as a gift from God um, in the context of warnings and warnings come from love. 
There, there is no such thing as a warning or taking the time to, to give a warning without some sort of love being the framework of the warning. I get it. Some people go um, past the mark and make it weird, but, but God doesn't. This is a serious warning out of God's love chapter 4 and 5 of Genesis. And chapter 4 and 5 of Genesis, man, I'm surprised HBO hasn't picked up on it as a series because it's got all kinds of sex in it. Sex, lies, murder, more sex, music, technology, polygamy, cities being built, bullies, more sex, and finally, hope. Well, that's where we're going to travel in our course of looking at this. And speaking of course of looking at something, let's remind ourselves too that if you're going to get these chapters of Genesis correctly, you got to think of, of uh, you know, I think about the Declaration of Independence, which begins with the words when in the course of human events. And one of the reasons why I really like the Declaration of Independence is because um, those who wrote it, Thomas Jefferson and the gaggle of dudes, um, I guess they were white guys, Anyhow, those guys that wrote it were giving an apology or giving an explanation of what was about to happen and what they expected to do um, if they won this thing called the Revolutionary War. And in a very similar way, we've got to keep that in mind that Moses is writing this to his audience first to catch them up to speed on why God is, um, well, who God is and why God is bringing them out of Egypt and what God intends for them to do and what God intends for them to know. So the context of these passages is giving the Hebrews and Moses a really correct understanding of God themselves and the world that they live in. The hope is the to start the process of knowing God correctly. And that is still the hope that the Bible has for us is that we would know God correctly. God does not leave us silent guessing. He leaves us with a clear understanding of who he is, and that's for us too. We've got to remember, he's speaking to them first and then to us. Well, and us, of course. So anywho, let's uh, dive into this. And before we uh, dive into this section, I think there is a relevant conversation, and I'll, I'll let you be the judge as to how relevant you think this is. But I've got an observation as to why Genesis chapter 4 and 5, and let's be honest, why Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and let's go on to 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, are so problematic for our modern ears, I suppose, as modern people. How do we see ourselves and why do we have trouble with this text? Well, I will propose that there are three fun suckers uh, that are just sucking the life right out of us when it comes to trying to get anything out of these chapters. And, and I would say the number one fun sucker and problem or obstacle to understanding Genesis for us is, is very simple. And that is the modern man and woman simply believe that believing in themselves is the most important thing. I believe in myself is the cry of the modern generation. I believe in myself and, and we are promised and we promise our kids in schools, you know, that if they just believe in themselves that, well, they'll be very successful. And I would say this, believing in yourself isn't really saying much nor doing much. In fact, I would say the craziest people on the planet that I've had exposure to, and I know quite well, they believe in themselves. And in fact, they say it all the time. I even know people that in my eyes, they're just crazy. I try to stay away from them because 
uh, they're just crazy. And they actually have tattoos on themselves that you know, talk about knowing themselves and believing in themselves and, 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 and know your truth. You know, these, these, these are the cries of the mantras of our current generation. And, and I think we're just going to be honest and say, I don't think we're saying very much. In fact, in fact, the whole idea of complete self-confidence, believing in yourself, I think it's a weakness. Um, I think it's a weakness because it puts us in endless loops of cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. We, we create for ourselves when we believe in ourselves, we create for ourselves a little echo chamber that we just simply can't get out of. And the only voice that we really hear is ourselves. I think we're going to need to widen our perspective because my perspective is the people who are yelling the loudest about believing in themselves are actually the narrowest, intolerant, ignorant, arrogant, unimaginative, and unforgiving people that I have met. And that's just the truth of it. And I like them. I, I'm not here to, I'm not, you know, I'm not a hater. Um, I try to, you know, work with them, but that's my perspective. Those who are yelling the loudest to believe in yourself are actually the narrow, narrowest and most intolerant people that I keep meeting. And so one of the things that's under attack is imagination itself by this kind of thinking. Imagination is under attack by those who believe in themselves because they brutalize anybody who seems to have an imagination that includes more stuff than their own imagination. If their imagination is, is um, you know, well, quite different than somebody else's imagination, well, that's when they get brutal. Nihilism, determinism, materialism, these are the modern banners of people today. Nihilists, well, propose that there's really nothing to believe in. And determinists, uh, you know, fall victim to lady luck and fate. Um, and there's nothing else other than that. And materialists say there's nothing more than what we can feel and touch in this world. And it's those groups of people that are occupying too much time and space in our education institutions and our government institutions. And, and, and it's they themselves that see everybody who includes more stuff in their imaginations as lunatics, heretics, and treasonous. So the very people who believe in nothing and believe in fate uh, and, and luck and, and nothing more than what we can feel and touch are the very people who attack people whose imaginations are actually bigger than themselves. Which leads me to the second group of fun suckers. The second group of fun suckers are modern theologians of any context, not Christian or otherwise. But in modern theology today, there is a complete denial of the existence of sin, which is unfortunate because, you know, when it comes to the Bible and, and the portions of the Bible that actually are easily proven, you know, the, the Bible's proposition about sin is the easiest and always the easiest part of the Bible to prove. I think the other parts of the Bible were, you know, provable enough. But the one that thing about the Bible's teaching that stands out is, is that the world is quite sinful. And all you have to do is stick your head up and look around to see that it's right. We prove the Bible right every day. And so modern theologians, I think, deny the existence of sin for one reason because we're supposed to believe in ourselves. And if we keep talking about sin, well, then we can't believe in ourselves. And I say, 
horse pucky, nonsense, bull crap, you know? Then there's our modern education systems. And our modern education systems, I think, are playing a tricky game here because they pretty much reject the fairy tale. In the name of science, we are told that the fairy tale is silly and for children. And we don't even teach them the children anymore. I would propose to you this as a human being, a sapien, um, uh, I, I would say the fairy tale is more important than what we ever think. In fact, the fairy tale, or maybe you would call it a parable, or maybe you would call it a fable, actually endures the test of time because the fairy tale tends to be more real than anything else that we experience. The in, the enduring fairy tales um, that, well, we get handed to us from generation, from generation, from the old world to the new world, from antiquity to today, the enduring fairy tale is so real because it makes the hero or the villain a very normal person. And the adventures that the very normal people meet up with are quite startling and get us to think. So stories where the hero is abnormal, well, those stories quickly fade away. Nothing puts me to sleep quicker than a Marvel, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the comic superhero movie screen. Puts me to sleep, baby. You know, I just can't relate, can't connect. It's, it's I, I guess it's entertaining, but, you know, it just doesn't connect with me. I'm no super superhero. I'm, I'm beyond normal. Now, every biblical character is actually normal. And I would propose to you this. Biblically speaking, even God is presented as extremely normal normal, which makes it so gripping. And so I think there's a lot of damage being done in the name of, you know, well, I think we have a tendency to to pick the low-hanging fruit or pick on the weakest, you know, part of the system or whatever. And the modern fun suckers today um, uh, are actually destroying, you know, the power that are built into fairy tales. Fairy tales actually help sane people navigate a very mad world. And so I think these modern fun suckers are, are actually doing what they're doing because they want everybody to just believe in themselves. And by just believing in themselves, well, I think we are in for a rude awakening and we're living out our smallest, most narrow-minded existence possible. So I guess the natural question is, what should I believe in? Well, of course, my answer is simple. Genesis and God's good book. And I would say this to the fairy tale crew. A lot of people would characterize these first chapters as nothing more than fairy tales or parables or fables. And they would quickly say they're just fiction. And I would say, even if they are just fairy tales, they are still the most powerful set of words that human beings have ever encountered. They are the most life-changing set of stories that human beings have ever encountered. These stories have rung the chamois of humanity for its best time and time again. Now, I believe that these portions of the Bible are historical, but I also believe that they're representative and they're symbolic all at the same time. And they are powerful because they are so real and they have endured the test of time. And if you dismiss them, well, you're running a risk for your own existence. 
That's my point of view. Hey, you could disagree with me all you want. That's fine. Anyhow, let's jump into the text. Man, I've taken a long way to, you know, around my elbow to get to my butt, as they say. Um, <clears throat> so the text itself, let's look at the first uh, scene in chapter four. Adam knew his wife. <laughs> you know what that means, sex. Um, the Bible encourages modesty when talking about sex. Anyhow, Adam knew his wife, meaning they had sex, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. All right, let's stop and, 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 and gather up this story as it should be heard. Now, first of all, yeah, Adam and Eve, they have sex and they have kids. Um, and that's a very, very normal part of our life, which actually sucks us in because, well, if you've had sex and have kids, then, then of course, you're, you know, there's some sort of connection to you. But the story needs to be understood. First of all, the, the naming of the kids helps us to understand the story. The naming of Cain, Cain means getter, you know, get something. A real go-getter, you know, not the uh, new social media thing, getter. But uh, Cain means a getter. <clears throat> and Abel means fleeting or insignificant. Now we're starting to get a different picture of the story. And I would even propose to you that when Eve says, when Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, the more or the stronger idea that's coming through is that Eve, Eve is saying, in effect, I have done this. And oh yeah, by the help I got, uh, I, and by the way, I got a little help from God. And the way that she names her kids also is reflective of kind of her bombastic attitude, you know, with Cain at least, and the firstborn son who seems to get all of the attention and the focus where Abel's name means fleeting and insignificant. And already the story has kind of an ominous beginning, but of course we need to read a little bit further and it doesn't take much reading to see that the story turns very ominous in a hurry. So I think the first thing worth noting is that Cain just simply won't answer God's questions. Crickets, crickets everywhere. God has questions, you know, for Cain uh, about why his face is falling and why he is so angry. And of course, we know that Cain is angry because they've both brought, Cain and Abel have both brought something to God and God showed regard for what Abel did and didn't show regard for what Cain did. And the author gives us a clue as to why indeed God gave Abel regard and Cain no regard. It's because Abel, God just simply gives Abel credit for the extra effort that he seems to have put in. 
Abel brings of the firstborn. Abel brings of the fat portions, which, you know, from a human point of view, this is the best stuff. So Abel brings the best stuff to God, whereas Cain just brings some stuff to God. It, it's, it's not that, you know, it's not that a barbecue is better than a salad. That's not, go, that's not what's going on. What's going on here is that Cain just brings something. And we wonder if Cain has just brought something because he feels like he's obligated to, not because he likes God or not because he loves God, just because he feels like, well, it's what I'm supposed to do. And Cain, the getter, well, doesn't want to give much up. And so he keeps what seems to be the best for himself, and he gives the Lord a little chump chain, which is the way his mom sounded when she said, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Um, it's kind of an add-on, and Cain's offering seems to be a bit of an add-on. It's very important that you don't make up a part of the story and then imagine that God scolded Cain. God does not scold Cain. He just simply gives Abel credit for some extra effort. And that's what makes Cain mad. Cain's anger is all about the credit that Abel gets for his extra effort, his, you know, well, good effort. Um, God doesn't put Cain down. He just gives Abel some attention for the extra effort that he put into it. And I think it's just simply fascinating because in this, you and I both know that people who don't do their best, people who don't do their best. Listen, I teach 13 year olds. I see it every day. People who don't do their best are angered by people who do do their best. It's what I see in politics. It's what I see in education. It's what I see in the world around me everywhere. Jealousy and spite come from people who don't do their best towards people who are doing their best. And strangely enough, we have now developed a society that seems to celebrate and reward those who don't do their best more than people who do their best. It's a very strange time, I think, that we live in. And when you're angry and when your face is fallen, the modern vocabulary or the modern slang for that is being butt hurt. And Cain is nothing more than someone who gets butt hurt. And what's he butt hurt over? Someone doing better than Cain. That's all. And it's not that Cain couldn't do better. It's that Cain didn't want to do better. And he's mad because Abel's getting attention. All right. So Cain reminds... I'm sorry, God reminds Cain, though, in this, even though Cain is silent and won't answer God's questions. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Um, and then he says, if you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God is reminding Cain of his God-given rule to actually rule over evil. When God says that if, if you don't do well, then sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God is simply reminding Cain of his God-given role to rule over evil. And evil here is portrayed as just a creature that is crouching, kind of ready to strike his heel or to inflict some sort of injury. And the impression that God gives Cain is that this is not hard stuff to work through, Cain. Cain, you just have to overcome the evil creatures, you know, evil presented as a creature. And don't forget that the order of God is, is God, people, creatures. 
And so evil is presented as a creature that, well, we're supposed to rule over. And God is just reminding Cain that you, you must rule over it. And it's a very doable thing. It's a very, it's a very doable thing to rule over evil. We do not have to succumb to evil. The Bible's point of view is that we don't have to succumb to evil. We do, but we don't have to. And God just simply reminds Cain of this. And then what's even more hilarious is that Cain, who won't speak to God, all of a sudden he is ready to speak to his brother. So Cain spoke to Abel, not to God, mind you, but he did speak to his brother. And when they were alone in the fields, Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. Why? Jealousy and spite. There's no good reason. Abel, the innocent, nice guy, it seems like, well, is killed by Cain for no good reason. So Cain, who won't speak to God, <laughs> will speak to his brother. And we can only imagine what he was saying to his brother. You dirty, rotten scoundrel, you got me in trouble. And Abel's like, I didn't get you in trouble. You're not even in trouble, Cain. I imagine Abel probably said something like, Cain, you're not even in trouble. God didn't say you're in trouble. You're the one making this all up. You're making that out more than whack. And then Abel was dead. See, Cain won't speak to God, but his actions, when he speaks to uh, Abel, they sure are louder than his words. Abel's dead. And it is a bit comical and hilarious if you have a sense of humor, because it's hilarious because I, I still find the most common response of the guilty is exactly what Cain says, and that is, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing is more infuriating as a teacher of 13-year-olds than, than trying to get to the bottom of something and, and they just say, I don't know. It's genius, really, on the other end. You know, like Cain's answer is, is still pretty genius to try to put the onus onto the other person or, you know, in this case, God, uh, to explain themselves rather than to explain yourself. Cain doesn't want to explain himself, and so God takes the opportunity to explain himself. And it's even more bombastic after, you know, God says, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which is open from his mouth. When you work the ground, you shall no longer work of it. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground of the from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me is going to kill me. And the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord will put a mark on, on Cain, you know, lest anybody finds him and attacks him, and Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord and settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And I think that it is even more hilarious because <clears throat> the guilty are often legal experts, right? And so, Cain here is now a legal expert on what fair, what is fair and what is not fair, which is 100% exactly the way we behave as human beings. And Cain also hilariously seems to want a keeper for himself. He is now mad that he doesn't have a brother's keeper. When indeed, when God asked Cain, aren't, you know, or Cain said to God, you know, very smart alecky, you know, what am I, my brother's keeper? Well, Yes, you are. You're supposed to love God, love your neighbor, love your brother. It's the basics. And now Cain, uh, being butthurt and, and, and lashing out at God in his bombast, 
seems to want somebody to be his keeper when he very clearly didn't want to be anybody else's keeper, which once again is exactly the way this world operates. The cane inside of us is absolutely unmistakable in this story. If you're sitting there saying, well, well, who are these people? How did they come into existence? You know, there shouldn't be any other people out there that are gonna kill Cain. And I would say, that's an interesting, you know, thought, but here's the thing, you're missing the point of the story. Don't lose track, as Foghorn Leghorn would say. Son, pay attention to what I'm saying. And we need to pay attention to what the true, you know, part of the story is, and that is the Cain in all of us. Every single one of us, can relate to this. That's what makes it so powerful. It's normal. It's so normal that we have to see it. Steinbeck, John Steinbeck, I love his writings, East of Eden, you know, of mice and men, is absolutely fascinated with this passage. I think all of his books are really, you know, about this passage, that he's fascinated with the cane in all of us. And the other thing that we can't miss in this is God's calm, his patience, and his care. God doesn't lose control of his emotions by any means. In fact, he remains calm. He's very patient and he's still very caring towards Cain. Well, the storyline continues. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Enoch was the, was born Irad and fathered Mahush. I'm, I'm going to skip the names. Then there comes Lamech eventually. Lamech takes two wives and Lamech, he's a real piece of work. Um, uh, the name uh, he, he names some sons, uh, and, and, and his sons then, you know, become the, the uh, father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock, um, and, and those who are playing the lyre in the pipe, uh, and those who were the forgers of instruments. Um, and Lamech, you know, then says to his uh, wives, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventyfold. Um, just absolute arrogance over the top. First of all, the point to, to notice is the common grace that God gives to the good and the evil. Cain is able to, you know, make love to his wife and have sex and have kids. Um, so God allows uh, Cain's descendants to rise. And I think that uh, there's something fascinating here too, and that is the rise of what I call the cityots. This is the rise of the cities, the Bible says. Um, Cain goes out and, uh, you know, he wanders around and he builds a city and, and the city uh, just starts to me the, the, the downfall of humanity. Cities are always the downfall of humanity. Uh, I think, you know, the cities just make idiots out of people. That's why I call them cityots. I've stayed away from the cities. I think they're a lot of fun to visit, but uh, my goodness, cities are crazy. Thomas Jefferson predicted that the downfall of the United States of America would be when America starts you know, piling people up in cities like they do in Europe. Jefferson says, then the United States will start to struggle. But the poor, the most important thing to recognize here is, is that these cities are being built in Cain's name, not God's name. And so in my name, in believing in myself, the world will be built. And so uh, in Lamech, you know, we, we, we see that men will now decide what marriage is. Civilization is going to rise. Domestication of animals, 
arts and technology, music and technology, wealth and power that all take us away from God. Dominion is actually happening like God had planned, and, you know, it's, it is going according to plan in that way. Human beings, uh, the atoms, are actually having dominion over the planet, just not under God. And all of these things, music, technology, wealth, and power, will all serve as God's substitutes in the world as it grows up away from God. Believing in yourself replaces believing in God. God's order and will are replaced by whatever seems to be right in our own eyes. Bombast, misogyny, bullying, murder will all be the new world order all in the name of progress. Cain's line accelerates like a California wildfire. Is it any wonder that by the time of Moses, the world has such mixed up and perverted understandings of God in the form of polytheism and some wild, you know, flood stories that are so twisted and nonsensible. Well, that's how it ends. Uh, and it gives us a clear idea that the world is the way it is because, well, Cain's line grows like wildfire. But the good news is, is that Adam and Eve do know each other again. They have more sex and they have a son, a new son to replace Abel. And, and, and this time when Eve speaks, she says it a lot better. She says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel and for Cain killed him. She seems to have better perspective here with Seth. And there is hope in Seth's line. Uh, because Seth's line seems to be aligned with God to, you know, and, and Seth's line, we, as we hear, calls upon God. And there's a relief in this, that there is going to be some sense of normalcy in the world because there are going to be those who are aligned with God, call upon God and walk with God. And so that's where we go when we get to uh, chapter five. Chapter five is a long passage. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to give the highlight reel. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he named them man, Adam. And they were created. When Adam ha had lived for 130 years, he fathered um, a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And as we read down through the generations, we find Enoch that walks with God after he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God for 300 years, and in his 365 year, fifth year, God just took him away. Um, so let's make sense of chapter 5. First of all, chapter 5 is clear good news. God's plan is not lost. Yippee, yippee, skippy is what I say. God's plan's not lost. There is going to be normalcy with the atoms that walk with God. There will be a place on earth where people are walking with God. And in that place, there will be normalcy. But at the same time, there will be blood because Cain's, the Cain's of this world will continue to kill the Abel's of this world for no good reason. And so the genealogies, which bore us to death, and I get it, but the genealogies are serving a pretty important purpose. And the important purpose that the genealogies are serving is not trying to give Ancestry.com something to fill their database with. Genealogies are looking for that serpent crusher that God had promised uh, back in Genesis chapter 3. 
And these gene genealogies are looking for that son of a woman who's going to be born that will crush the serpent, which means that will crush evil. We're looking for evil to come to an end. And that's what the genealogies are looking for. And every time we hear he died, that means we're still looking. He died, he died, he died, he died, he died, he died. We're still looking. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert. When we finally find a son of the woman, meaning Eve, down the road that does die and rises again, guess what? We found who we're looking for. We found the one who will indeed crush evil if we find the one who dies and then rises again and beats death. And so this overall you know, passage is, is what I call the Cain scene. And it is a loving warning that God gives us, and we've got to remember this, because God tells us very clearly that this world that we're living in is like the wild, wild west of the butthurt and the bad. It's a mad, mad world. Ooh, baby, it's, it's a wild world, as Cat Stevens used to sing. The, the, and, 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 and there's no doubt that this world gives us this constant feeling like there is something always lurking crouching, uh, you know, evil is always crouching, ready to strike our heel and make a mess of the worlds. And it can happen to anybody. God is being extremely honest with us. And the funny thing is, is that who do we blame when the world is going to pot, as Willie used to sing? Well, we end up blaming God, but we're blaming God for the cane in us. God's just simply being honest with us. God, Thank you, God, for being honest with us. And he gives us this clear warning. And I have literally seen people relieved when this is explained to them. And, and it is relieving. And it does give us comfort uh, for those who lose a loved one or are victims of the world's evils. This gives us patience and pause. And it gives us a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus later on will reinforce the concept of Genesis chapter four and five, when he says that the wheat and the tares are going to grow together and they'll be sorted out in the end. Jesus also reminds us that the blood of Abel to Zechariah, which is his way of saying all of the blood that was shed in the biblical history, history, mind you, will be accounted for, which is also extremely relieving because, you know, the Bible tells us very clearly God hasn't lost track of the blood of Abel and the blood of all of the innocents that have been shed. God hasn't lost track of that. He will do the right thing and we can put our trust and we can put our dependence in him. The world makes God seem unpleasable, but just like Orwell taught us, it's just the opposite. It's the world that is unpleasable in its pursuit of progress, pursuing, you know, you know, promising that it has your best interest in mind while it plans your destruction. Just believing in yourself allows the world to beat you like a rented mule. Genesis chapter four and five is, is a peace-giving warning for all of us to understand the world in which we live and to direct our hope on the one who has truly, truly crushed the evil that is crouching on all of our doors. And that is Jesus Christ. In his death and his resurrection, he provides the solution 
for our death and our resurrection. And to him we shall go. Hey, thanks for hanging with us. We got another one coming up. See you next time. 